A warm up the low, welcome to Lovey Las Vegas. The Dust Coast Heaps with myself, Greg Heaps here. So now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast and got a great podcast for you. In the second segment, we are going to be doing a little bit of a deep dive. Typically, I have a guest in the second portion of the podcast, but wound up having a situation which I couldn't find anyone because it's New Year's Day. Wound up having quite a few people celebrating with family, and you never want to push people away from family. So we are just going to be doing a little bit of a deep dive on how to utilize free throw shooting percentage with regards to your handicapping. And it's going to be sort of one of these putting stats into practice sort of things. Not just taking a look at numbers, but how to utilize them with regards to your handicap. Taking a look at some teams that they shoot really well from the free throw line. Teams that shoot very bad from the free throw line. Uh, Some of the teams that shoot really bad have been good cover teams. And all the teams that shoot really well, some of them have been doing not so well. And just what free throw shooting means with regards to your handicap in general. So we're sort of going to be doing a spot in which I wind up teaching you how to fish without giving you the fish in that segment so that way you'll be able to catch some fish. So I do think that that's a good way of being able to go about it, being like sort of the math teacher showing an example and then being able to put it into practice, being able to have that in your handicapping toolbox. So I think that that's going to be a good segment. Let me know how you guys like slash just like it. And then in the final segment, I'm going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we hit some bank shots. First things first, always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. And I've got one or two ways we will fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at Jaren Scorty1. Keep in mind, letters M. They mean does not matter. Size per usual. Please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. If you like what you're hearing today with regards to that second segment and you want a little bit more, please do fire it in that way as well. So that way I know what went well, what went awful, what I should be offering more slash less of on this podcast. It always gives me a nice barometer there. So always do appreciate you guys when you do wind up chiming in that way. And let's take a look back at everything that we want to sing in college basketball on Saturday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. Now because I do the Greg Peterson experience from 1 to 4 a.m. Eastern time, I'm not able to give you a real good recap of Oregon versus Utah. That game wound up tipping off at 10.30 p.m. Eastern. But with that said, pretty much everything else wound up going final at the time of this recording. And you wound up seeing a battle of undefeateds and Baylor wound up being able to survive, but they are unable to cover. And a big reason why I'm doing my deep dive on free throw shooting is that Baylor probably would have covered this game if they would have hit some of their free throws late, but they missed a couple free throws that wound up costing them the cover. 77 to 72 the final. Overall, Baylor wasn't too bad at the free throw line in this one. They go down to 14, but entering in this game, 65.8% free throw shooting team. Meanwhile, Iowa State, they went 21 to 27 at the free throw line. A big reason why they did wind up covering this game because for Baylor, they wound up going 7 of 17 from three-point range while Iowa State ice cold 1 of 14 from distance, but Iowa State still able to cover this game despite losing the rebound battle by con 32 to 30 because free throw shooting very big in this one and got to give it up for Iowa State's Tristan Inaruna who wound up having 23 points, 8 rebounds came up very big. And then for Baylor, how about LJ Cryer coming off the bench going 3 of 5 from three-point range? So he was able to do a solid job staying out there in the Big 12. You saw Texas being back to being able to get a dominant win. 74-59 to in the final over a West Virginia team that allowed more than 60 points for the first time in right around 30 days. You've got Texas being able to have Marcus Carr have a big game in this one. A guy that has not really been a fit for Texas this year. 20 points by far his best performance in a Texas uniform. Andrew Jones chipped in there 14 as well. And for this Texas team, they do wind up forcing nine seals. West Virginia, 20 turnovers overall. That was just killer for the team. And for West Virginia, a 
bad free throw shooting team in their, of their own right. They do go 9 of 11 and 6 of 12 from three-point range, but just so many wasted possessions wound up hurting them. Villanova got a win and cover against Seton Hall by a count of 73 to 67 for Villanova. They won 25 of 30 at the free throw line for Seton Hall, 16 of 21, but for Seton Hall, and you did wind up having Bryce Aiken coming off the bench. He had 22 points, but Villanova wound up doing a great job of being able to win the battle on the glass, 42 to 28. Seton Hall, only eight turnovers in this game to Villanova, 17. Very, very uncharacteristic of Villanova, but the main free throws wound up helping out with that a little bit, and for Seton Hall, they just couldn't find anyone other than Bryce Aiken to really be able to put the ball in the basket. You did have Jerry Roden give you 13.6 boards, but Villanova won the game from within, and they are able to get the cover. The New York Post play today got a very easy cover. If you wound up taking this at like 20, 19, even a little bit higher slash lower, you got there with George Mason, 76 to 67. They take the loss, but they get the cover against Kansas for Kansas. They have been playing a lot of overs this year. This was a push slash a loss, depending on when you want to take in this number, because it was ranging between 143 and 143 and a half. But for Kansas, Jalen Coleman Lance comes in off the bench, goes five of seven from three point range. Kansas overall, 9-28 from three-point range. But for George Mason, unafraid of the task, 11-27 from distance. They did wind up committing 14 turnovers in this game to Kansas' nine. But very big note here, Kansas was without Remy Martin. So you want to be checking in on his status moving forward. That led to a few more minutes for someone like a Joseph Yasufu and David McCormick. Only 10 minutes in this game. He's fallen a little bit out of sorts when it comes to Kansas as well. Providence, they were not out of sorts. They get another good win as they go on the road. And they don't just win against Nepal. They win in convincing fashion. By a count of 70-53, to this game was pretty much dead upon impact because I wound up having DePaul. And, well, they didn't give a good effort in this one as DePaul. They wind up having John Freeman Liberty give the team 22 points, but he's really the only guy that wound up showing up for Providence. How about them being able to get... 12 points, 11 rebounds out of Justin Manai. No Horschler, 11 points, 8 rebounds. Providence, 8 of 15 from 3-point range. They win the rebound battle by a count of 42 to 38. So they did all the little things well. And for DePaul, they shot 29.8% from the floor. That's just unacceptable. Other games that we wound up seeing in college basketball, not involving ranked teams, Southeast Missouri State has really become an over team. 98 to 79. They wind up clocking Austin P, the good old governors. And if you're taking a look at this Southeast Missouri State team, I believe that they have now played each out of their last five games to the over and six out of their last seven since the beginning of December over the total. So that has been something that has been trendy. If you're looking at bottom five teams in all of college basketball, I don't quite know if Omaha makes a bottom five, but they certainly make the bottom ten and they got destroyed by Oral Roberts. 107 to 62 for Oral Roberts. Max Aismas wound up putting up a 20 spot in this one as the team goes 14 of 29 from three-point range, and Oma, they shot 28.5% from the floor, and yet this game still winds up going way over. St. Thomas, the Tommies, they're now 8-7. and seven. They wind up just completely drubbing Western Illinois by kind of 89-66 to 66 for St. Thomas. They are committing pretty much a few turnovers of any team that is outside of a power conference in all of college basketball. They wind up going as a collective 14 of 30 from three-point range for Western Illinois. They wound up going 4 of 18 from three-point range. We weren't able to get a whole lot going, so give them a lot of credit for being able to have a big win in this one. If you're taking a look at the Big 12, you wound up seeing a cover from an underdog in Kansas State. They wind up losing to Oklahoma, but they hung in there. 72 to 69 in the final for Kansas State. 10 of 22 from three-point range. Nigel Pack backed it in there with 17 points, but how about Mark Smith? 25 points, 5 assists at 16 rebounds. You don't have a lot of size for Kansas State, 
but he's doing a good job of being able to mitigate their lack of rebounding. Meanwhile, for Oklahoma, you did have Elijah Harkless come through in this game. He was able to give the team 21.7 rebounds for Oklahoma. They themselves went 10 of 27 from three-point range, so they were able to bury quite a few triples. The ACC right now is a big, giant jumble mess. Florida State gets a win, but no cover because NC State wound up launching up a big giant prayer three to be able to get the cover 83-81. to This was a back-and-forth game all game long as it looked like NC State had a good chance to be able to pull it off. All right, then they wound up melting down a little bit late, and then they wound up getting the late shot as NC State 12-27 of from three-point range. Got to give it up to Tarquavius Smith. 7-13 of from three for 23 points, and Ron Sebron, 32 points, 7 assists. I mean, these two along Jericho Elms are pretty much a team at this point, and for Florida State, they were able to do a solid job of being able to win the battle on the glass, 37-29, to and force NC State into 16 turnovers, but they themselves had 15 of them, so it was an interesting performance, to say the least, Wake Forest. They just forgot how to play defense against Miami, 92-84, to and... Miami has a chance to be one of those teams from the ACC that winds rising up into the top four. They go 9 of 18 from three-point range. You were able to get Charlie Moore, Cam Mcgusty, along with Isaiah Wong, all to be able to give you 15-plus points with Wong being the headliner with 25 points. And for Wake Forest, what wound up burning them is that they could only force Miami into nine turnovers. Miami averaging fewer than 10 turnovers per contest, one of the best marks in all of college basketball, and a Virginia team that, let's call it what it is, they have not looked like themselves this year. They go on the road in the knockoff Syracuse by a count of 74 to 69 for Virginia. You wound up having Mr. Caden Shedrick give you 12 points, 11 rebounds for Virginia. They were able to do a nice job of forcing Syracuse into some less than ideal shots. They wound up going 10 of 30 from three-point range for Virginia. They actually do a solid job on the glass. They did wind up losing that battle 37 to 33, but certainly could have been worse. And for Virginia, they went 7 to 10 at the free throw line. Syracuse, 15 out of 23. So a very fascinating result out there in the ACC. And if you're taking a look at the Big East, you wind up having a double overtime thriller between Creighton and Marquette. Marquette unable to get it done by a count of 75 to 69. This was a game that was very, very harebrained as Creighton wound up having a drain, a late three-pointer to be able to force a second overtime. Marquette probably should have given a foul in that situation, but they did not end for Marquette. The guy that actually came through for the team, Oso Ego. Darrell, he wound up being able to give the team 22 points, 5 rebounds, was averaging 5 points per game prior to this contest, but for Marquette, 5 of 19 from 3-point range, Crane, they dialed it up, they went 11 of 31 from distance with Ryan Hawkins, 18 points, 12 rebounds, and Ryan Kalkbrenner wound up going for 20 and 12 as well. This is a Crane team that they look so much different because they are looking to build from within, and thus far, it's actually been working out for them quite well. What else has been working out quite well? The North Texas defense are in the bottom 5 with regards to possessions per game, and they just completely stymied Rice by kind of 75 to 43. I speak of free throw shooting. Rice went 12 of 25 at the free throw line. That really doomed them. Even if they would have hit the free throws, it would have been a rough day. But how about what you were able to get off the bench for North Texas? Their top player in Tyler Perry with regards to scoring. He comes off the bench for the team. He wound up having 18 points in this one. And then you were able to have Aaron Scott be able to give you 8 points, 10 rebounds and for Rice. Had been a while since they had played against a D1 opponent and they just looked all out of sorts in this game. Shooting 33% from the floor. North Texas just 6 turnovers in this game. So they solidly dominated that one. Rutgers looking a little bit more dominant as well. 79-48. to They clock a Central Connecticut State team that was coming off of a back-to-back. If you, like me, wound up having American, this was brutal. They got off to a 30 to 11 start just to blow a 19 point lead to American 
losing this game by a count of 63-61 to as Lehigh, they themselves wound up having three points in the final 642 of this game. So you wound up seeing some big giant droughts. That was very much harebrained if you're looking at bottom teams at all of college basketball, Idaho State. They're currently looking like one of them. They score 40 points against Montana State, 60-40 to as they went 3-23 from three-point range. This is an Idaho State team that they are looking relatively useless right now, especially with having Robert Ford out of the fold. This is a team that... Yeah, unless if you're getting a massive line move on this team, you probably don't want to be taking a shot with them. UW-Milwaukee is actually starting to present a little bit of value. They went against Northern Kentucky by a count of 61-55, to 55, a Norse team that they wound up getting up by a count of 40-23, to 23, and then from there they proceeded to poop the bed, getting 15 points in the final 18-30 of this game. So that was just a very bad job there. And if you're looking for a job well done, how about VMI? They take down Furman by a count of 76 67 as VMI 14 out of 30 from three point range and you're going to hear them highlighted with regards to teams that have been able to do a good job at the free throw line so that's what we wound up seeing in college basketball on Saturday now I'm going to discuss the importance of utilizing free throw shooting percentages in your handicapping how to effectively utilize them as well so that way you can actually add that to your own handicapping just situations in which it should probably be used a little bit more slash less because I do take the mindset of every single game being its own living breathing entity so we're going to dive into that a little bit more on the other side right here on Coast Coast Suits with myself Greg Hughes Peterson now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. At Bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every home run every hit every inning every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. And now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast and wound up having no guests today. Was supposed to have someone on, but unfortunately New Year's wound up getting in the way. So we are just going to be riding it out solo. We'll have guests on the podcast throughout the week. So have no fear there. But because I have been referencing this quite a bit with some of these teams that you don't necessarily want to be betting on with regards to free throw shooting percentage, I want to do a little bit of something unique today in that I just want to take a look at teams that are either very, very good at the free throw line or very, very bad at the free throw line. Wanted to do a little bit of a case study. See, all right, how are these teams doing with regards to against the spread record? We're going to be using numbers going into Saturday just because trying to refresh all the shooting percentages and everything like that. That would be a royal pain in the tuchus. But with that said, you've got your top team in all of college basketball with regards to free throw shooting. That would actually be Portland. I don't think a lot of people would have been like, oh yeah, Portland, top free throw shooting team in all of college basketball, but they're shooting right around 83.1% at the free throw line. They've been relatively successful for you. 8-6 against the spread, a team that I really didn't have a lot of expectations for, but so far so good. And then you wind up seeing a couple teams out there in the mountainous time zone 
shooting between 80 and a half and 81.8 percent at the free throw line that would be montana and colorado state if you've been betting on montana this year it's been a little bit of a rocky ride but things are starting to get online they're out six four and one against the spread and colorado state six and three against the spread so your top three teams they are all doing a very good job against the spread then we get to vmi a team that wound up winning outright on saturday against Furman, a team that I've had quite a bit of success betting on throughout the years. 5-5 five, five, and 1 against the spread. So nothing great, nothing terrible. They do seem to be rounding into form. And if you want to betting on them last year, you were able to do a terrific job. The one real outlier is Kent State. Now, Kent State is a team which was able to pull off a nice win against Toledo. I can tell you right now, I wound up having Toledo, so that was a little bit of a rough one. They're 4-6 and six against the spread. So obviously, could be doing a little bit better there. And then when it comes to Bucknell, it has been a very, very rocky ride for them. When it comes to against the spread record, they're one of the top teams with regards to this. But still, 6-7 and seven against the spread. You got Kent State shooting 81% the free throw line, 80.7% with Bucknell. How about number seven though? Monmouth. They are literally the best cover team in all of college basketball right now. Against the spread, they are 12 and 1. There is no other team that's been better against the spread. By the way, if you're looking at top against the spread teams, going into Saturday, Monmouth number one. Towson is number two at 11 and two. Cal is number three at 10 and three. Cal has actually been one of your better teams with regards to being able to make free throws as well. This is a Cal team that they rank right around 131st with regards to that as they've been hitting right around 71.5% of their free throws. Towson, I believe, has been relatively solid as well. It's been a team that has been in a little bit of transition. They're more around 184, so been a little bit up and down for them. If you're looking for a real outlier, Chicago State has been one of the worst teams. With regards to free throw shooting percentage, they are at 336th and they are actually 10-5 and five against the spread, which has been very intriguing, but you take a look at a lot of these schools and a lot of them have been able to do a very good job of being able to cover numbers as being so of the better teams with regards to free throw shooting in all of college basketball. I mean, you just continue down with a team like Miami of Ohio and Missouri State. These teams are number eight and number nine with this regard. And when it comes to Miami of Ohio, it's a team that I've been warming up on as the season has went along. Miami of Ohio right now, they find themselves five and four against the spread. And then you've got Missouri State, who I just wound up referencing as well. They wind up entering seven and six against the spread. So nothing demonstrative, but they've been able to do a relatively solid job there. Iowa's always been a solid free throw shooting team along Central Florida. These teams have been solid. You've got the team that is going to be featured in the New York Post Northwestern. They have actually been one of your better cover eight teams as well. Now let's take a look at some of the bottom teams. USC is really a big outlier here because USC has been downright terrible at the free throw line. They are fifth worst in all of college basketball. They are literally draining right now about 58.4%. Actually fourth worst in all of college basketball. And they are currently doing a solid job of being able to cover seven to five against the spread. One of my favorite teams, Nichols. They have also been really, really rocky at the free throw line. They're 5-5 five five against the spread, 55.7% at the free throw line. McNeese State, they've also been really, really bad at the free throw line, but they haven't necessarily been lighting your money on fire, per se. 5-4-1 and four and one against the spread, and then you've got Sam Houston State. They are absolutely dead last with regards to free throw shooting percentage, 53.4%. But for Sam Houston State, 7-4 and four against the spread. I think that we're able to find some commonality with regards to these bad free throw shooting teams and how they do very good work against the spread. And then you've got other of these teams that are bad at the free throw line, like we're going to throw out there a team like an IUPUI. They have been one of the worst cover teams in all of college basketball. You've also got a team in Morgan State who has been really lighting your money on fire as well. They rank 337th in the country with regards to free throw shooting percentage. Morgan State currently find themselves 2-6 and six against the spread. And when it comes to a lot of these teams that they are able to cover slash they are not able to cover, it's that 
when it comes to these favorites and they wind up finding themselves as like mid-range favorites or as underdogs altogether because Portland, they are the number one team with regards to free throw shooting percentage and they've been able to do a good job of being able to pull through for you all season long. You're finding that when it comes down to it, it depends on the spread itself when it comes to free throw shooting because if you wind up having a double digit spread, it's less likely that free throw shooting is going to come into play. USC has been finding themselves in quite a few blowouts. They don't necessarily get to the free throw line too much as a result. If you wind up seeing more close games with USC, they wind up being like a five-point road favorite against Cal. I mean, we're just spitballing a number here, but that those are the situations in which you probably want to be fading USC a little bit more. Meanwhile, you take a look at the inverse, and you wind up finding these teams getting double figures, you're not going to be getting fouled at the end of the game if you're getting double figures. If you're a team that you're a 15-point underdog, you got to figure that fouling is not necessarily going to be a part of it. And if you wind up finding that you wind up having a good free throw shooting team that's not necessarily covering, we're going to throw out their incarnate word, for example. They shoot 79.7% of the free throw line. That is 11th in all of college basketball. But thus far, incarnate word this season, 5-6 and six against the spread. You want to know why? They're not in a position where you do wind up having late game following because they're just getting blown out on a night in and night out basis. So I think that it is very important to take a look at free throw shooting with regards to handicapping. I wanted to expand upon this a little bit today because I do think that various situations call for stats to be utilized differently because when it comes to free throw shooting percentage, when you do wind up getting into those six, eight point spreads, I think that it's very big. Now, it's still important in like a 15 point spread in regards to a game that you think that a team is gonna be an underdog in. You still want to be factoring it in, but I really do think that when it comes to some of those spreads, there are certain things that you want to be taking a look at, some more than others, like I mentioned with regards to free throw shooting percentage. And, and you just take a look at matchups themselves. I do think that they wind up playing a big role with regards to how you want to be taking a look at a team as well. You're going to be finding a big differential in my Temple versus Houston game. I'm going to be talking about that in the final segment because I think that it's a little bit of a doomsday spot for Houston. But I do think that every single game needs its own handicap. And it's not just taking a look at the numbers, but just how the numbers are going to relate to the game and how much meaning it's going to be because there are some games in which free throw shooting percentage is very meaningful, other games where it's not going to be. Some games in which block percentage is going to be very, very important. The percentage of a opponent's shots that a team winds blocking. There are other games in which it's going to be completely and utterly meaningless if you wind up just chucking up a whole bunch of threes. So hopefully this winds up giving you a little bit of a primer for that and just how to be able to utilize context with regards to statistics as well. So I want to do this on the podcast today. Hopefully you guys wind up enjoying it. And like I said, if you've got other ideas that you want me to dive into, if there's just other things in general that you want me to touch on on this podcast, questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you, one of two ways we have fired this in, Twitter timeline, at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M, they mean does not matter. Other ways, find an Apple podcast review, rate this podcast five stars. From there, you're able to note whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this little bit of chalk talk and coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. And we're back here in Lovey, Las Vegas for Ghost Ghost Eats with myself, Greg Eats Years, and now part of the Beeson family, a podcast. Wound up going guest free today. It is the technical first podcast that is being recorded. You're hearing this on January 2nd. I'm recording this on January 1st. So, wound up giving everyone the day off. With that regard, we'll be returning with guests a little bit more towards the back half of the week. So, have no fear there. Wanted to try to give you guys something a little bit informative, though. So, hopefully, you enjoyed that. Now, it is that time on the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41 Going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order as per usual. This is where we go with the games with three digits first, and then the games with six digits are going to be at the bottom, and the games with six digits. These are smaller conferences like the America East, the Northeast Conference, what have you. So that's the line of demarcation there. And we've got a lot of postponed games. I would not doubt it if some of the games I wind up previewing do wind up getting postponed. I'm going to do my best with this, but... Certainly, it's going to be a little bit of a tough situation there as the first two games on the betting board have been postponed. 751, 752, 753, 754. St. Bonaventure, Dayton, Columbia, Yale postponed. So we start with 755, 756 on the betting board. North Carolina hits the road to face off against Boston College. BC is a 7.0 underdog in your tallest game. Is anywhere between 139.5 and 140. And it's been a little bit of a rough year for North Carolina, no question about it. And what I think is going to be really intriguing is. What are they going to be able to do with regards to their defense? Because there have been some times in which it's actually looked halfway decent, and then there have been other times in which it looks absolutely terrible. So you've got a big giant roll of the dice there. You've got a Boston College team that they don't necessarily have a lot of depth. James Karnick has been able to come on. He is a transfer from the Patriot League and has been able to get the team right around six rebounds. He's chipping in there right in the neighborhood of about eight points per game. So he's been able to do a little bit of something. And what plays into this as well is the fact that you've got Boston College playing their first game in quite a while. Last time they wound up hitting the floor the 13th of December. So it has been a little bit of a layoff for them. But I do think that the Langfords are going to be able to do a solid job for Boston College. We've got Makai Eschen Langford who's been able to give the team 11.5 points, right around 3.5 assists per game. Both of these guys shoot right around 33% from three-point range. The other one winds up giving you right around 12 points per game. TJ Bickerstaff, 9.5 points, 7.5 rebounds per game. And you take a look at North Carolina, and they've been able to do a good job of being able to hit their threes. You do have Armando Bico being able to give you 15 points, 10 rebounds down low, and then you got R.J. Davis and Caleb Love combining for 28 points, a little bit over 7 assists per game. These are guys that are both shooting about 41% from three-point range overall in North Carolina. Shoots 39% from distance, 74% at the free throw line. 
but this has been a team that they have been giving up the three-point shot themselves. Going on the road, I think is going to be a little bit of a tricky endeavor for this team. I think the Boston College going to be able to hold up down low. You do have good versatility with this North Carolina team with guys like Dawson Garcia along with Brady Manick being able to combine for about 23 points per game. These guys combine to be able to shoot about 40% per three. And North Carolina does shoot 74% in the free throw line, which no question is a big bonus for them. But when it comes to Boston College, I do think that Quinton Post and his five rebounds, nine points per game. And the fact that Boston College shoots right around 35% per three, it's going to be able to keep them live in this game. Except Boston College has a six-point underdog, so we'll to take a seven here. And I did wind up saying this sold at 138 because you do have a Boston College team that actually plays at a very slow tempo. And you've also got a very early game, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. So taking the under and taking the points. 757, 758 on the bang board. Bradley hits the road to face off against Indiana State. These Sycamores are finding themselves a one-point favor on in your total on this game is 140.5. And when it comes to the spot, I wound up setting Indiana State as a three and a half point favorite. So I am willing to lay it here. When it comes to Indiana State, they have been under new tutelage as you did wind up seeing pretty much all the guys that were at Lincoln Memorial last season come through along with Josh Schertz, and he's been able to do a good job of being able to make some match with this organization. Meanwhile, you've got a Bradley team that has gotten quite hot recently. You take a look at them, and they've won four out of their last five games with the lone loss being a two-point loss to Toledo, which was a cover for them. You have had Terry Roberts step up with 16 points per game. Renick Mess has been able to give you eight points, eight boards, only shooting about 20% per three. Overall, Bradley shoots 65% free line, 34% per three. I think that this is going to be a little bit of an issue against an Indiana State team that got good versatility with the team they shoot 74.5% at the free throw line with three out of their top four scores, shooting above 82% at the charity stripe, including Micah Thomas. Thomas has been able to shoot 38% from three-point range. This is a team that they have been without one of their star players all season long in Tyree Key. You were expecting good things from, but Cooper Nice has been able to step up 16 points per game. He has been able to give the team 20-plus in now four out of the last five, so he has really been able to step up with that aspect. And I do think that Indiana State going to be able to do a good job in the backcourt. I think that they're going to have just enough down low with Cameron Henry being a good 6'6 combo player, 14.5.6 rebounds to be able to get it done. I do think the free throw shooting going to be paramount in this one as well. Made Indiana State a 3.5 point favorite. Indiana State really kicking up the tempo. If you know about Lincoln Memorial, that's a program that was averaging right around 85 points per game, 6 out of the last 7 years. Indiana State looking to push tempo, so set this total at 145 as well, taking over and laying the very small number. 759, 760 on the betting board. Dartmouth is going to be in the road to face off against Cornell. Cornell is a four-point favorite in your total on this game. It's 145, and the total I set it at 138. You've got one ridiculously fast team in Cornell, a team that ranks in the top 35 with regards to possessions per game, not necessarily playing a lot of defense. Then you've got a Dartmouth team that they are looking to really slow things down. So I sort of went in the middle. I wound up going with a 138. What I think is going to be key for Dartmouth is being able to get Mr. Kostroyak going, and that would be Cam Kostroyak. That is actually the son of Larry Kostroyak. Take a look at what he's been able to do, and it's been in or miss for him. He has had in the team's last five games. 5-3-0, 20 points against Cal, and then back to 5. So, he has been all over the place, but shooting 45.9% for 3-point range as a 6-foot-9 combo player. It's really been Brendan Berry along with Aaron Ray, who have been the dominant players for this team. These two guys are combined to be able to give you just under 27 points per game. Ray is able to give you 7.5 rebounds per game. Going to be a little bit tough sliding down low, because with Cornell, you do have Kobe Dixon, 
Seven and a half points, six rebounds, three and a half assists. Good, versatile player. And then you take a look at what you're able to get out of Jordan Jones, and this is rock solid. A guy that has been able to chip in there 13 points per game, has been missing over the last couple, though. So looks like he is probably going to be out of the fold for Cornell. That does cause me to sour on them a little bit, but I did still set this team as a six-point favorite because I do think that Sarju Patel is going to be able to step up. Guy that wound up shooting 35% from three a few years ago at VMI. He has been struggling to find a shot recently, but has still been able to give the team double figures in three out of the last five games. And then on top of that, Nazir Williams is someone who has been able to step up a little bit with his three-point shooting, shooting 38% from three, a little bit over two assists per game for a Cornell team that overall shoots 37% from three-point range. We got a Dartmouth bunch at, they do an okay job of being able to make their threes as well, right around 36%. They shoot 76% the free line, but very much a slow and controlled team, a team that is not going to be able to hold up on the glass, in my opinion. So I did wind up setting this line at Cornell laying six. So I'm willing to lay the points. Made the total 138 as well. So diving under. 761, 762 on the betting board. You've got Richmond and the Itsy Bitsy Spiders that throw it to face out against St. Louis. The Billikens are a three and a half point favorite and your total on this game is 144.5. And when it comes to St. Louis, I did wind up setting them as a favorite of more in the realm of five and a half points just because when I take a look at this Richmond team, they have been very befuddling recently. You wind up seeing them just get completely blown out by St. Joe's. That was a very bad look for this program. And you take a look at Richmond, and you do have a pair of guys with size that are able to stretch a floor. Tyler Burton along with Grant Golden. They combined to give you 34.3 points, 13 rebounds with Golden 3.5 assists per game at 6'10". And both of these guys combined to shoot about 42.5% from three-point range. Richmond overall, though, they shoot 68% the free throw line. The 9.6 turnovers per game, one of the better marks in all of college basketball. You've got a St. Louis team that, with regards to seals per game, they are generating right around eight per contest. And you've got Yuri Collins, 10 points, eight assists, two steals. He has been rock solid out there in the backcourt. And Gibson Jimerson shooting 40% from three, 16 points per game. Francis Okoro, I think, is going to be able to do a solid job down low. He and Terrence Hargrove Jr. are able to combine for a little bit over 12 rebounds and two blocks per game. Hargrove Jr., a little bit more of a versatile big man, shooting 37.5% from three-point range, as the team is as well. And St. Louis always has had a bugaboo of shooting free throws. They're not shooting 75% this season, despite the fact that they have been with quite a few guys that have been banged up for the year. They wound up having their top score in Javante Perkins get ruled out, but they They've been able to do a good job of mix and match. I do think that this is a game that you are going to be seeing a little bit of late game following, but I think that St. Louis, the fact that they are a controlled team, Richmond, not looking to gun it either. You're going to see some efficiency, but you're not going to see a lot of possession. So I did want to say this total at 143.5, diving under. And with St. Louis, I think that they're just going to be more efficient in this game. I think that they're sort of a better version of Richmond. So wound up setting St. Louis as a 5.5 point favorite, laying the points and taking the under. We move on to game number 763, 764 on the bang board. Northern Iowa is going to be playing with Evansville. Purple Aces find themselves in 11 point underdog. And your total on this game is 128.5. When it comes to Northern Iowa, I want to say them as a 14 point favorite you've got an Evansville team that has not seen the floor in quite a while. And quite honestly, this is an Evansville team that I am not very bullish on whatsoever. You do have a guy in Jameer Givens who's been able to give you 15 points per game. Overall, Evansville from three-point range shooting about 32.5%. They shoot 68% at the free throw line. And for Evansville, this is going to be their first game since they wanted taking on Southeast Missouri State on December 8th. So it has been a little bit over three weeks for them. Meanwhile, Northern Iowa, they were able to, at the very least, play two games in that Diamond Egg Classic. you got a Northern Iowa bunch at it's going to have the best player out there on the floor, A.J. Green. 17 points, right around two assists, shooting 36.5% from three-point range. Northern Iowa overall has kicked up their tempo. They're more around a middle-tempo team this year. Typically, you see Northern Iowa in the bottom 50 with that, but they're shooting 72% the free throw line, 34.5% from three-point range. Austin Fife is a guy that's saying 6'9". He's bearing about 30% of the series, and the guy that has really emerged recently, Nate Essie. 
Hesse has been able to give this team at least 12 points at each of the team's last four contests. He has been able to generate two plus steals in four out of the last five, too. Now, Trey Barrow has missed the last few games. A guy that's able to give the team five rebounds per game in Northern Iowa. It's been bad on the glass, but you don't have a lot of rebounding when it comes to Evansville either. Javon Newton has been able to give you six rebounds, 14 points per game, but they really don't have any size whatsoever. We've got a Evansville team that really, aside from Newton, you don't have a single guy giving you more than five and a half rebounds per game. They've been dealing with some ailments to Evan Coleman. He should be good to go on this one, but a combined three points in the team's last four games. He has been absolutely terrible, and Evansville in general, just not a good team. They are in the bottom 25 with guards possessions per game. They're not good on defense. They're not good on offense. Wanna make in this total. As a result, more around a 126. So I'm gonna be diving under. And with Northern Iowa, willing to lay two touchdowns at 14. So laying the points and taking the under. 765, 766 is in your post play of the day. Michigan State, it's road face off against Northwestern. Northwestern is a one and a half point underdog in your total on this game. It's anywhere between 138 and a half and 140 and a half in the New Year post play of the day is Northwestern. Officially it gave out the spread because you could wind up seeing a situation situation which the line winds up moving a little bit but I personally am just going to be taking the money line so whether you're taking like a point if this winds up getting to like two points or if you're like me with the money line I think the Northwestern just winds up winning the game to just put it in simple terms I wind up saying Northwestern has more around about a five point favorite because I do think the Northwestern going to be able to do a good job of controlling this game they are third in the country with regards to fewest turnovers on a per possession basis they're going up against a Michigan State team that ranks in the bottom 55 with regards to being able to force turnovers now the good news for Michigan Michigan State, Marcus Bingham Jr., along with Max Christie, a pair of guys that wound up missing the last game against High Point. They are back. They are combining for a little bit over 20 points per game. Bingham Jr., eight rebounds, three blocks per game. But this is a Northwestern team that they do a good job of letting it fly from three-point range. As a collective, they shoot 36.5% from three-point range, 77.7% at the free throw line. Each other top four scores are right now shooting at least 80% at the free throw line. And Chase Odige is back. He wound up missing the first seven games of the season last year. Averaged right around 12 points per game. He's averaging right around 11 this season. Pete Nance, good versatility. 16 and a half points, eight rebounds, three assists, and boo booey. How about him? 5.7 assists per game. He has been able to give the team 15 points, so he's been able to do a good job. Now, when it comes to Michigan State, you are going to have a little bit of advantage down low, but when it comes to Michigan State as well, the 14 turnovers per game, I think, is going to be costing them. A.J. Hogard has been able to shoot right around 36.5% from three-point range, but he does sometimes get a little bit loose with the ball. He and Ty Walker do combine for about 10 assists per game, so they've been able to do some solid things there, and then you do have Gabe Brown being able to give you 14 points, right around 5 rebounds per game, but I do fear that Michigan State, a team that has been allowing quite a bit from the outside, is going to get hurt there once again, so I did wind up saying Northwestern as a favorite. we got a Northwestern team that's playing some very efficient offense. Michigan State, ditto for them as well. Michigan State overall, shooting about 38% for 3-point range, so I wound up saying the total at 143.5. I think that we're we're going to see quite a bit of scoring, so take a look at the over and the New York Post play of the day. Northwestern, I personally am taking them on the money line. I officially gave out the spread. 767, 768 on the bang board. Valparaiso is going to be playing us to Illinois State. Illinois State has signed themselves a three and a half point underdog with your total on this game, 139. And for Illinois State, this is a team that is playing at a breakneck pace. They are playing at a top 15 possessions per game pace in all of college basketball for Valparaiso. This is a little bit more of a slow and controlled team, but now they've got all their pieces out there. Kobe King along with Ben Cricky. pair of guys that were out towards the beginning of the season. They are back with King in his four games. 16 points, four boards, shooting 44% per three in Cricky in 10 games. 15 points per game. Now, down low, you don't have a lot. Thomas Kithier, the transfer from Michigan State, has been able to give you 10 points, six half rebounds per game, and you do have a Valparaiso team in which they do a good job of being able to generate some steals among their top six scores. Five of them give you at least 0.8 steals per game. This is a Valparaiso team that they shoot 35% per three, 73% the free throw line. They don't turn the ball over 
Warlock Fly. Illinois State Bugaboo for them is 14 turnovers per game. That is headlined by the fact that you wind up bringing in Tennessee State transfer Mark Freeman. He's been turning the ball over quite a bit, but he's shooting 35.5% for three. But then you take a look at Antonio Reeves, and he's a game changer. 21 points per game on 45.5% three point shooting. Josiah Chapman is able to give you six half rebounds. And then you've got the strong man in Josiah Strong. 13 points, shooting 46% from three himself. Illinois State making 39% of their triples. Turn the ball over a little bit too much, but I do think that they're going to be a hold up down low. A team that is able to give you over six blocks per game that is in the top five in all of college basketball, Valparaiso. They're going to have to gun it from the outside. I think that they're going to have a little bit of a lack of success there. I did wind up setting Valparaiso as a two and a half point favorite. So you're at the three and a half. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Illinois State. I do think that you wind up getting late game following. Taking a look at the 144 and a half with regards to my line, and that leads me to an over in this spot. So looking at an over, and I'm willing to take three and a half here with Illinois State. Not willing to go in on the money line, but I think that this is going to be a relatively close game. Now we've got some postponements as we go 769, 774 to Mumass, 771, 772, St. Peter's Marist, 773, 774, Harvard Princeton, 775, 776, Duquesne, and George Mason. All these games postponed. So we go to 777, 778 on the betting board. SMU is going to be playing us to Central Florida. The Knights find themselves between a 3.5 and a, a 4-point underdog with your total on this game, 146. And I think that this is a good buy low spot on SMU because with SMU, they're playing against a UCF team that they wound up having a big giant signature win when they wound up hitting the... Hardwood against Michigan a few days ago, but I mean, it was a Central Florida team that literally did not miss a three in the second half. I think that they're going to come back to earth a little bit. I recognize that this is an SMU team that they aren't necessarily the world's greatest on the defensive side of things, but you do have Kendrick Davis, who I think is going to be the best player out there on the floor. He's been able to dole out a little bit over five assists, 4.7 rebounds, 21.5 points per game, shooting 40% from three-point range. Emmanuel Bandemel, he has been able to shoot about 40% from three-point range as well. You've got an SMU team that has collective. They shoot 74% in the free throw line, 38% from three. Now, for Central Florida, they've been able to do a good job of fitting outside shots as well, right around 36% three-point shooting as you've got Darren Green Jr. along Darius Perry. These two guys combined to be able to give you 27 points per game. Perry, right around five and a half assists per game. The problem with UCF is that they're they're not necessarily an up-tempo team, and they do commit 13 and after an overs per game. I think that that could be a little bit of a wolf for this team. Now, Brandon Mann has been a little bit up and down this season, but he has certainly been on a little bit more of an up recently in that game against Michigan. 26 points, and he's had 11 plus in now four of the team's last five games. He's also been able to deliver four plus rebounds in four of the team's last five games, so he's been able to do a good job there, but when it comes to Central Florida, I just fear that they're not going to be able to do a terrific job down low. Chukumake Jong has been able to give you six rebounds per game, so he's been able to do a relatively solid job there. CJ Walker, nine points, six rebounds, but this is a Central Florida team that they don't necessarily have a lot of depth. SMU is able to come at you and wave. Someone like a Tristan Clark has been able to do a solid job down low with right around four boards. He's able to give you a block per game, so I do think that SMU has the upper end out there in the great state of Texas. I did wind up setting SMU as a six-point favorite. I made this subtle 142. I think that Central Florida is going to look to slow things down. I think that they're going to have some success, but at the same time, I think that they cool down from three-point range. Taking the under and laying the points with SMU. 779, 780. Postponed game. LaSalle, Rhode Island. No money to be made. So we go to 781, 782. Penn and Brown are going to be doing battle. What can Brown do for you? Well, if they pretty much win the game all right, they can make you money because this is a relative pick game. Penn is between a one and one and a half point favorite. Draw this game is anywhere between 139 and a half and 140 and 
and a neutral court, I've got these teams pretty much dead equal. I want to setting Penn as a three-point favorite in this spot because with Penn, I think that Jordan Dingle is going to be able to take over this game. How about 20 points per game for him? He has given the team 21 plus in four other teams last five. Now, you do fear a little bit of rust with Penn. Last time that they want to pit in the floor, that'd be December 11th. Meanwhile, Brown, they have been in rhythm, but you take a look at this Penn team. They shoot 36% from three. They only turn the ball over right around 12.8 times per game. They shoot 72% at the free throw line, which each out of their top four scores, shooting at least 75% at the free throw line. I do like what you've been able to get out of Jonah Charles as well. Charles is someone that has been a little bit remiss, but Given the team 10 points per game, he's shooting 42% from three-point range. You have been dealing with a little bit of ailment to Clark Sajert, someone who's been able to give the team nine points per game. It seems like he should be good to go in this one, but you do want to be checking in on his status. Meanwhile, for this Brown team, Tamanang Joe has been able to give you right around 11.5 points, 7.5 rebounds per game. A guy that tries to shoot threes but doesn't do so very well, 26.5% three-point shooter. Now Brown shoots 73% at the free throw line. They play a relatively slow brand of basketball. They're decent on defense, but they only shoot 31% from three-point range as well, and they don't necessarily have a lot of size. Was expecting a little bit more out of the gentleman from Canada, Nana Owusu Anane. He had really been able to get off to a nice start. He's now been able to give the team eight points or fewer in four out of the last five games. He's really fallen out of favor with regards to the rotations. We've been noticing a little bit more Jalen Ganey. Ganey has been able to give the team right in the neighborhood about eight and a half points, five rebounds per game, so has been able to do a solid job there. And when it comes to blocking shots, this guy's amazing with right around 1.7 blocks per game, but I do think that Penn is going to be able to hurt this team from the outside. I do think that we see a little bit of late game falling, but I think that it's going to be a little bit more of a controlled game, especially with Penn coming off of quite a bit of layoff. Set the total 135.5. I'm willing to take the under, but with Penn, set them as a three-point favorite, so laying the point. 783, 784 on the bank where you got Penn State, and they're going to be playing us to Indiana. Hoosiers are finding themselves a two and a half point road favorite and your tallest game is 128. When it comes to Indiana, I want to saying them as a two and a half point favorite. So we're going to be waiting on a little bit of a line move when it comes to this one. If you take a look at some of the very, very early openers, you wind up seeing a one and a half and a two wind up popping. So I'm going to be taking a look at that. If we wind up landing at a two and a half, I'd be willing to lay it with Indiana before I'd be willing to take it with Penn State just because with Penn State, I do feel like there's still a lot of question marks when it comes to the team because Micah Shrewsbury, why is it Coming in as a coach of this unit, someone who's been able to do a solid job of being able to instill some defensive toughness, but at the same time, it is a Penn State team that you take a look at them, they shoot right around 33% from three point range. You do have Sam Sessions, who's been able to give the team 13 and a half points, three and a half assists per game. Jalen Pickett, 12 points, four and a half boards, four and a half assists. So he's been good at John Rar, 11 and a half points, and a half rebounds per game. No depth whatsoever when it comes to this team. You're hoping that maybe Greg Lee winds up coming on and is able to give the team a little bit of something as a transfer from Western Illinois. Wanted seeing his first action in the team's last game, which you have to go back to December 11th on that. But Trace Jackson Davis, I think, is going to be able to take over this game. 19.5 points, 8.5 rebounds, 3.2 blocks per game. You've got an Indiana team that they shoot 37% per three. Big bugaboo with them, 15.5 turnovers per game. You've got a Penn State team, though, that they generate 4.6 turnovers per game. So the real kryptonite that Indiana has, Penn State is not necessarily able to cash in on that. Xavier Johnson has been able to give out a little bit over four assists per game. He is shooting 36% per three-point range. Indiana has been able to have Miller Kopp be able to shoot about 39.5% from distance, 94.5% free throw line though. You do have an Indiana team that they've been dealing with some ailments of their own. They're shooting 67.5% free throw line. So here at 2.5, I'd be willing to lay it I'm not willing to lay anything more, but I'd be willing to lay two and a half here with Indiana. And when it comes to this total, it's one that I want to setting at a 133. You've got an Indiana team that's 
playing actually very much up-tempo. I do think that you wind up getting a little bit of late-game fouling. I recognize that Penn State is a very slow team, but I think that Indiana going to be able to crank up the tempo. So, taking the over and one late here with Indiana. 785, 786 on the main board. Houston, it's the road phase off against Temple. Houston finds themselves an 11.5 to a 12-point favorite in your total on this game. It's 128.5. Did someone not give bookmakers a memo that literally the entire backcourt of Houston is banged up right now? I mean... If this were a fully healthy Houston team, I would not disagree with this line. I mean, if you wind up having out there all your guards, yeah, this is a line that should be Houston laying double digits. But you take a look at what is out for Houston, and I don't understand how you wind up playing this number. Marcus Sasser, Kyler Edwards, along Traymond Mark. Literally, the top three scoring guards for this team, they are all out. Between these three guys, you wind up getting a little bit over 40 points per game, right around six assists per game. Sasser was shooting 47% from three-point range. Edwards shooting 35.5% from three-point range. Seems like Taze Moore is going to be out there, but Taze Moore has missed a little bit of time as well. You wound up missing a few games, and a guy that, I mean, while he was at Kelsey Bakersfield last year, actually shot 51% from three, but I think that that was a little bit of a product of a small sample size with regards to his outside shooting. Now, down low, you certainly do have some nice players. Some like a Fabian on white is able to give you 10 points, five and a half rebounds per game. Josh Carlton, 10 points, five boards. He's able to be a little bit more versatile than he's shown this season. And you still have bringing up the ball, Jamal Sheet, a guy that's able to give you six assists per game. The problem is, I just don't know what you're going to be able to get with regards to three point shooting out of him. And you've got to use a bunch at they were already shooting 64% at the free throw line, so that's not great. And meanwhile, for Temple, they are still without Khalif Battle for the rest of the season. But Damian Dunn, along with Ty Strickland, both of these guys are going to be able to get her done. Strickland shooting 36% for three. Dunn shoots 86% the free throw line, right around 13 and a half points per game. You've got a Temple team that they're only turning the ball over 12 times per game. Houston, their hallmark is getting right around 10 steals per game. They do a great job on the glass. And I still think that Houston's going to be able to do that. I think both teams are really going to be struggling with their shooting, though. I think that you're going to see just a real snail's pace of a game. And with Houston and their failure to be able to make free throws, I'd be feeling very, very cautious with this team moving forward. I wound up saying this line at four. I really wound up downgrading Houston about six points due to these injuries. I mean, if they would have had everyone out there, I would have been setting this line more around 10 to 11. This would be a little bit more fair, but with all the injuries, I'm going to be taking the points with Temple here, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. 787, 788. Postponed game between Loyola Chicago and Southern Illinois. 789, 790. Ditto for Illinois, Minnesota. No money to be made here. So we go to 791, 792 on the betting board. Louisville is going to be hitting the road to face off against Georgia Tech. The Ramblin' Wrecker find themselves anywhere between a 2.5 and 3.0 underdog in your toss game. is 133, and for Louisville, I am still very, very down on this program. I that Georgia Tech is a two-point favorite. I think that Michael DeVoe is going to be the best player out there on the floor. With Michael DeVoe, he has been absolutely tremendous for this team. A guy that's able to shoot darn near 45% from three-point range has been able to do an absolutely supreme job of just being able to take on the scoring load for this team. He's been someone that all year long has been able to give you right around 21 points per game down low. You do have Jordan Usher being able to give you seven boards, 15 points per game. And in the team's last game against Georgia State, he stepped up with 30 big points. So that was something very encouraging. He's also able to give you right around a steal and a half per game. So that is helpful. Now, Georgia Tech doesn't necessarily have a lot of depth, but you take a look at Louisville. They've got depth, but they really don't have anyone that's really coming to the forefront. Noah Locke, 11 points per game, shooting 34.5% from three-point range. He's your top scorer. Malik Williams, 10 points, 8.5 rebounds per game. That's nice. Samuel Williamson is able to give you 6 points, 5 rebounds, and you wind up having Jalen Withers, 5.5 points, 5.6 rebounds per game, but Louisville shoots 31.5% from three-point range. You turn the ball over 14 times per game. Very much a slow and controlled team. 
Georgia Tech, I have a feeling, is going to try to get to the free throw line quite a bit. A team that only shoots right around 68% of the free throw line. It just seems like everyone on this team shoots right around 68 to 72 at the free throw line. I mean, really nothing more, really nothing less, but what I think is going to be very big for the team, where are you going to be able to get down low out of Rodney Howard? He's been very hit or miss for the team this year. A guy that's been able to give you six and a half points, five and a half rebounds per game prior to the team. Really hitting Christmas break. He was seeing a little bit of a drop in his minutes, but I think that they're going to be looking to him a little bit more in some of these spots. And Kyle Studevant is also very intriguing. A guy that has been able to give you right around 7 points per game this season, but he has been able to emerge a little bit more, shooting only about 30% from 3-point range. I do think that he's going to be handling the ball a little bit more, trying to take some pressure off of DeVoe, and I think he's going to have success against a Louisville team that I think is frankly disjointed right now. So, set Georgia Tech is a 2-point favorite. We'll only take the money line. Set the soil at 131 as well. So, diving under. 783, 784. Arizona State is going to be hitting the road to face off against Cal. Cal is finding themselves a 2.5-point favorite, and your turn on this game is between one twenty. 24 and 124 and a half. I think that this total should be low, but I think that we went a little bit too far. I set it at a 127 half. I get the feeling that Bobby Hurley is going to try to crank up the tempo for the rest of the season for the team. You've got DJ turned it up horn for Arizona State. 13 points per game, shooting 40% from three. Arizona State, they've shot 29% from three. This is a relatively awful three-point shooting team, and not having Marcus Bagley out there has certainly hurt them, but I think that they're going to be able to improve a little bit. Someone like a Jay Heath has been able to shoot 40% from distance, 10 points per game, wanted missing the first couple of games of the season due to health and safety protocols. And you do have a good on-ball defender in Jalen Graham, who's been able to give the team five points, three and a half rebounds per game, and for Cal, very much an Hermes team. They shoot overall from three-point range, 34 and a half percent. Andre 3000 Kelly should be able to own things down low with 15 points and 9 rebounds per game, but Kamani Lawrence on the other end for Arizona State, 11.5 points, 8 rebounds per game. I actually like what I've seen out of him. Grant Antisevich is someone who stands right around 6'9". He's popping threes at a 39% clip, 92% the free throw line. Cal does shoot 72.5% at the free throw line. They are willing to allow open shots as well. This is a Cal team that is very, very slow, but I think Arizona State is going to try to push Cal outside of their game, try to utilize their athleticism, and I don't necessarily think the world of Bobby Hurley, but I think that he's going to have success against a Cal team that we're going to call what it is. When it comes to talent, this is one of the worst Power 5 teams that you're finding in all of college basketball. They've actually been able to mesh quite well to this point, but I think that Arizona State is going to be able to utilize all the transfers that they want to bring in. I think that they're going to be able to fire on all cylinders, have a little bit of a good run here towards back half of the season. So, said Arizona State is a one-point favorite. I'm willing to take the money line. Said the total 127F as well. Still going to be taking a look at the under. 785, 786 on the making more. The Ohio State University. It's a road face-off against Nebraska. Cornhuskers are a nine and a half point underdog and your turn on this game is between 149 and 149 and a half. I made this an 11 point line. I was bullish on Nebraska coming into the year. Boy, oh boy, they have been bad. I mean, this is a Nebraska team of which I was thinking that you'd have both of the McGowans out there. Trey McGowans has just not been able to play for this team recently. Bryce McGowans, he's been solid. 15 and a half points, six rebounds per game. Nebraska is shooting 27.5% from three-point range. They actually do shoot 73% of the free throw line, but Alonzo Verge, after towards the first part of the season, was actually doing a nice job of being able to hold on to the ball. He has had at least four turnovers in each of the last five games and six-plus turnovers in four out of the last five. So he has been really giving the ball away. He's committing more turnovers than Sarah Lee's bakery right now. Meanwhile, you've got an Ohio State team that they are coming off a quite lengthy layoff. The last time they wound up playing was against the Wisconsin Badgers on the 11th of December but 
I think that they're going to be up for this game. EJ Liddell right now looking like a top five player in all of college basketball. 20 and a half points, seven and a half rebounds per game, shooting 35% from three-point range, and then behind him, Kyle Young and Justin Aarons. These two guys are combining to be able to give you 18 and a half points per game, right around nine and a half rebounds. Both guys shoot at least 43% from three-point range. Michi Johnson has been able to give you six and a half points per game. I like the way that he looked prior to this little bit of a pause for the team. Eight plus points in two out of the last three games. And heck, even Cedric Russell, whenever he's been out there, has been relatively solid has been a guy that has been utilized sparingly, but he was really the reason why they were able to get that upset win over Duke. This is a team that they shoot 73% of the free throw line now. Ohio State, not necessarily great at being able to force turnovers, so I do think that that's going to be a little bit to the advantage of Nebraska, but Ohio State, they're very slow, they're very controlled, but they do a good job of being able to find open shots. I think that Nebraska is going to be stymied a little bit by the outside shooting defense of Ohio State as well. I think that they're going to be forced into a lot of threes, and I think that they're going to be bricking them all night long, so set this all at 145, going to be diving under with Ohio State. Made them an 11-point favorite, so willing to lay the point. 797-798 on the main board. You've got Drake in the red face up against Missouri State. Missouri State has signed themselves a 4.5-point favorite in your total on this game. It is 139, and I'm saying Missouri State as a 5-point favorite. So here at 4.5, it's pretty much a max. I probably, if this wound up landing on 5, I'd be laying it before I'd be taking it, just because I've really soured on this Drake team. This has been a Drake team that, if you take a look at them, they're 3-9 and nine against the spread. They just have not necessarily been able to live up to expectations. I had a little bit of higher hopes for the backcourt of this team. You've been dealing with Roman Penn with quite a few injuries. DJ turning it up. Wilkins, 9.5 points per game, shooting 38% for 3. And with Drake, they shoot 39% for 3-point range, 72% at the free throw line. You do have to like what you've been able to get out of Tramel Murphy with right around 11 points per game. And Tucker DeVries, coach's son, 13.5 points, 4.5 rebounds. He's been the best player on the team, but for Missouri State, this is a team that they've got a trio in jail a minute, Gage Brim, along with Isaiah Mosley. These guys have been absolutely superb for this team. Right around 45 and a half points per game. You've got Prim giving you a block and a half per game. All three of these guys shoot at least 42.9% from three-point range. Minin and Mosley both shoot above 92% at the free throw line. I, this is a trio that you can really build around. Donovan Clay, 8.6 points per game to be able to help them out. Jamonta Black, 10.5 points. He's able to give you a few rebounds. He's able to shoot 38% from three. Overall, Missouri State shoots 40% from three, 79.5% the free throw line. And for Missouri State, this is a defense that has actually looked really good recently. They held South Dakota State to 63 points. I mean, that is pretty darn impressive. They did wind up getting bludgeoned in their game against St. Mary's about a week and a half ago, but I really like the recent form of this Missouri State team. I think that they're going to do a good job to be able to get the job done. you got a Missouri State team that they don't necessarily play fast, but they play very efficient. I think that you wind up getting late game felling, set this all at 144, so I'm going to be taking a look at the over, and with Missouri State willing to lay it here at four and a half. Set the line at five, so willing to lay it, and I'm going to be taking a look at the over, and then this is last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra game, 799, 800 on the betting board. You've got Marison the road face off against Iona. Iona is currently finding themselves a nine-point favorite, and your total on this game is 138 and a half, and with Iona, set them as an 11-point favorite. This is actually a rematch of a game that we have already seen this year. This was a game in which I believe that the roles were flipped. Maris was on the road facing off against Iona, if I remember correctly. This is a game that was from December. First, and in that game, Iona went on the road and they got a seven point win in a game which Iona was more around an eight point favorite. So, they're saying that the home court advantage flip is pretty much worth one point. I wholeheartedly disagree with that. Now, Maris has been able to show through very well. They were able to get a nice win against Boston U in overtime on the road. They were able to have a spirited effort when they wanted to play against Navy as well. But this is a Maris team that is very disjointed. They're averaging 8.2 assists per game. So, there's a whole lot of isolation with this team. They shoot 66.5% at the free throw line. As a matter of fact, you take a 
look at it, and among their top five scores, you got one guy that's shooting above 70% at the free throw line, and that would be Mr. Raheem Sullivan, who's been able to give you right around 10.2 points per game. Now, you've been able to have Mr. Jayu Atuka be able to step up 13 points per game, but you also don't have really a lot of rebounding with this team. Matt Hermesy has been able to give you five and a half rebounds per game, and I do think that Nelly Jr. Joseph is going to be able to eat down low 14 and a half points, eight and a half rebounds. A guy that's able to give you right around two blocks per contest, so he's been able to do a great job in that aspect. Tyson Jolly has been very jolly for this team. How about a double figure amount of points per game ever since he wanted coming over from SMU? A guy that's able to shoot 43% for three, Iona. They shoot 34.5% for distance. They're playing a little bit more up tempo. Maris, they've been playing a little bit faster this year as well, but the six blocks per game for Iona, I think it's going to be a massive issue for Maris. I think that Maris is going to have a really difficult time being able to find any points whatsoever. I think that's going to be a little bit more of a slower, more low tempo game than the 78 to 71 result that we wound up seeing a month ago. I'm willing to take the total under. I want to take it at a 131, but with that said, I think that Iona going to take it to Maris once again, set them as an 11 point favorite, so laying the points and taking the under. Now we go to the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. Only two on this day at 306-025 through 6-026. Postponed game. Hertford and Stony Brook. So we go to 306-027, 306-028. You've got Binghamton, and they're going to be playing us to UMass. Lowell. Lowell is finding themselves a 3.5 point favorite. Your total on this game, you're getting it at a 134. And when it comes to UMass Lowell, I want to sing them as more around a 4.5 point favorite. This is a team that's dealt with the best of times, the worst of times, but they were able to go on the road and get a win against Dayton earlier this year. Everett Hammond, who winds coming in from USC Upstate, 11.5 points per game, 1.8 steals per game. So he's been able to do a very rock solid job there. And when it comes to this UMass Lowell team, they are a team that they generate nine steals per game. And you've got a Binghamton team that they aren't necessarily the world's most disciplined team. This is a bunch of, with regards to turnovers per game, right around 13 and a half, despite the fact that they don't play very fast and they shoot 61 points. 0.9% at the free throw line. Now, the good news is each of the top three scores for this Binghamton team, they all shoot above 75% at the free throw line. Dan Petcash wound up coming back a little bit later for the team, 11.5 points per game. But you take a look at this Binghamton bunch, and they have not played a game ever since December 11th, and Petcash has missed each of the last two games in that aspect. I expect him to go. So he is built into the line as being a go for Binghamton, but it has been quite a while for them. And with Binghamton, you've got nothing down low. You've got Egioli Okwavo, who's been able to give you five and a half rebounds per game. Max Brooks on the flip side for UMass Lowell, ten and a half points, right around six rebounds per game for Lowell. It's been quite a while since they've suited it up as well. December 19th was their last game against Sacred Heart, but what else I'd like for this team is John Hall, who I actually think could be a little bit of a difference maker for this team in the game that he wound up playing against Brown. Had 14 points, 8 rebounds. He wound up beginning his career at Evansville. Wound up playing at Portland State as well, so a very well-traveled gentleman. And when it comes to UMass Lowell as well, Justin Fazian. Right around 3 assists, 3 boards, 10 points per game. I think that he's going to shine through. A guy that scored in double figures in each other team's last 3 games. So, one layup to 4.5 here with UMass Lowell taking on a very rusty Binghamton team with this total. I wound up setting it at a 142.5 with Binghamton They've just always been a really, really bad defense. I think that you wind up getting some late game following as well. So taking the over and willing to lay the points. And we're going to be wrapping things up with 306-029-306-030 because final two games, Jacksonville, Campbell, Albany, Vermont, those games have been postponed or canceled. So this is the last one. You got Maine in the road face off against NGIT. Maine is open to knock in Maine as they are finding themselves 11.5 point underdogs. Their total on this game is 119.5. Typically, I don't take a sub-120 total under unless if I really think that it's going to be a slog. 
I really think it's going to be a slog. I set the total at 116 and a half. You got Manu wound up putting up 64 points against Rutgers. So, I mean, they wound up putting up a few points. They've now scored at least 64 points in two out of their last four games against D1 competition. If we include non-D1 teams, three of them. But, I mean, you just take a look at this team and it is not good. They are shooting 25.6% from three. They're turning the ball over 14 and a half times per game, but despite being one of the slowest teams at all of college basketball, now they do give you right around eight and a half steals per game, but for NJIT, you've really got a guy that's been a good headliner for this team in Dylan O'Hearn. O'Hearn rules as he has been able to do a very nice job with right around 18 points, three assists per game. You take a look past that, and Mr. Miles Coleman has been able to chip in their 15 points, six boards. Overall, NJIT shoots 33% from three. The 14 turnovers per game, that's a little bit of a wall, but they themselves get right around eight and a half steals per game, so I think that that's going to be very good. And for Maine, you don't have a single guy giving you more than nine points per game. You've got LaShawn Duart, who was able to come through in that Rutgers game with 22 points, and he's been able to give the team 10 plus in now four out of the last five, but I still have my question marks there. He had a very solid freshman year, had a really bad start to this season. You've got Vusan Masich, who's been able to give you right around eight and a half points, four and a half boards per game, but not having Stefan Ingo out there has really been hurting this team. He has missed every single game in the month of December. A guy that last year gave the team 10.5 points, 8.5 rebounds per game. So now you've got no interior defense as well. And I think that is really going to be hurting this main team. Set this all at 116.5, diving under. one to lay up to 12.5 here with NJIT. So we'll want to lay the points. And now we'll wrap things up for the Sunday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops. Hopefully you enjoyed what I wound up all doing today. And if you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and Twitter. And if you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, Got one or two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at JaronScorty1. Keep in mind, letters EM. They mean does not matter. Size per usual. Please do send these into the timeline and the other way is on an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast five. That's a five star review, and I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, which means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.